Greetings to you all. Welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. If you are new here or haven't done so already, please don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Thank you in advance. Let's pick up where we left off, shall we? Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in to get warm, and prepare for this continued dose of vocal melatonin. Here we go. Right after this intro, an ad will play. And then right before the story begins, I'll play another ad, and there will be no more ads within this video. Disclaimer, some of the content within these stories may be unsettling for some. Listening discretion is advised. Part 4 Katie KD is a vet who's been a SAR officer for about 15 years. She specializes in high-elevation mountain rescues and is widely considered one of the best in her field. She was one of the more enthusiastic storytellers, and since we were together a fair amount during exercises, she ended up telling me about four that really stuck with me. The first she told me in response to my asking about her most traumatic calls. She shook her head and told me that really bad calls happen more frequently on the mountain, since the potential of nasty accidents is higher. About five years ago, one of the parks she worked at had a string of disappearances. It was a bad year, she said. One of the worst on record as far as weather went. They were getting about a foot of new snow every couple of days, and there were a few avalanches that killed some climbers. They'd warn people about staying on the mapped areas, but of course there's always those who don't listen. In one particularly nasty case, an entire family got wiped out because the father decided he knew better than the officials did, and he took them out in an area that wasn't safe. They were snowshoeing, and as best KD could figure, they walked onto a shelf of snow that looked solid but actually wasn't. It gave way, and this family went ass over tea kettle, almost 300 feet down a slope. They landed on the rocks at the bottom, and the parents died instantly. One of the kids did as well, but the other two survived. One had a broken leg and fractured ribs. The other was almost unharmed, save for some bruising and a sprained ankle. The uninjured child left his siblings behind and set out to find help. KD said the kid didn't make it more than a half a mile before a storm overtook him. The kid stopped to try and get warm or maybe just to rest and ended up freezing to death. They ended up finding the family with the help of some witnesses who saw them heading out into the wilderness and she was the one to find the kid who'd frozen to death looking for help. She said it had started to snow just enough to obscure long-distance vision, but not enough to make searching impossible. She saw a figure sitting in the snow up ahead, and she got to it as quickly as possible. She described in detail how, as she got closer, she realized first that it was a child, second that they were deceased, and third that they had frozen in one of the most pitiful positions she'd ever found a corpse in. The kid was sitting upright, and his knees tucked up against his chest. His arms were curled around them, and his head was tucked up into his coat. 
When she moved the coat to look at his face, she saw that he died crying. His face was twisted and the tears were frozen onto his cheeks. She said it was painfully obvious that the kid was terrified when he succumbed to hypothermia. And, as a mother, it broke her heart. She told me, repeatedly, that she hopes the father is burning in hell as we speak. The other traumatic story she told me that stood out in my mind was one that happened when she was a rookie. Her team got a report of an experienced climber who hadn't come home the previous day. His wife was convinced that something bad had happened because he never failed to come home on time. They went out looking for him and had to climb what sounded like some very technically challenging parts of the mountain. They got to a relatively flat area and Katie started seeing blood in the snow. She followed the trail and as she went, she started seeing little bits of tissue. She wasn't sure exactly what body part it had come from, but the farther she followed it, the more there was. She follows this blood and tissue trail to a sheltered area under a cliff face, and she finds the climber. She said that there were so much blood, more than she'd ever seen before. He was lying face down, one arm stretched out in front of him as if he died crawling. She looks closer and sees that he's been partially disemboweled, which is where the tissue she'd seen had come from. The guy had an ice pick tucked into a hip holster, and it's covered in blood. Of course, they'll never be sure exactly what happened, but she said as best as she can figure, this is what went down. The guy had been attempting to climb up the next area and had been using his ice axe to ascend. He probably hit a loose patch and had fallen. On the way down, or possibly where he landed, he gotten impaled by the axe and it had disemboweled him. He drug himself along, tearing pieces of himself out as he went, and had died under the cliff face. She isn't terribly bothered by gore, but I guess the few of the guys who'd come to help her remove the body threw up when they turned him over, and a good portion of his intestines spilled out. I mentioned to her that I was interested in hearing about any experiences she had had with people completely disappearing. Her eyes lit up, and she leans in close to me. Want to hear a real doozy? She asks. She tells me about how, when the first time she started, there was a case that got a lot of attention in the media. A family had been out berry picking in an area of the forest very close to the entrance of the park. They had two little boys, both under the age of five, and at some point during the day, one of them vanishes. There's an absolutely massive search, and they find absolutely nothing. It's another of those cases where it's like the kid was never there in the first place. The dogs just sit down and don't pick up on anything. No trace of the kid is found. The search goes on for about two months, but it eventually got called off. Fast forward to six months later... The family comes back to place flowers at a memorial that's been set up there for the kid. They bring their other son. While they're placing the flowers, they lose sight of the kid for about three seconds or so, and in that span of time, he vanishes into thin air. 
Now, obviously, the parents are beyond devastated. It's awful enough to lose one child, but to lose two is beyond imagining. The search is huge, one of the largest in state history. There are about 300 volunteers combing every inch of this park, looking for the kid. But again, there's no trace of him. The search goes on for about a week, with people looking miles from the part of the park he banished from. And then, almost two weeks later, a volunteer almost 15 miles from the designated search area radios in that he's found the kid. They assume that the kid was dead, but the volunteer says he's not only alive, he's in good shape. Katie and her team go out to recover the kid, and when they get there, she cannot believe that this is the kid that's been missing. His clothes are clean, there's no dirt on him anywhere, and he doesn't appear traumatized. The volunteer says she found the kid sitting on a log playing with a little twig bundle that's bound together with some old rope. Katie asks him where he's been, who he was with for those two weeks, and the kid tells her that he's been with the Fuzzy Man. Now, Katie firmly believes in Bigfoot, so she gets all excited and asks what he means by Fuzzy. Was he hairy? But the kid says no, he was not hairy. He was a fuzzy man, and he describes a man that's blurry, like when you close your eyes but not all the way closed. She says the man came out of the trees and took the kid with him deep into the woods. The kid says he slept in a hollow tree, and the fuzzy man gave him berries to eat. Katie asks if the man was mean, if he scared the kid. And the kid says, no, he wasn't scary, but I didn't like how he didn't have eyes. Katie says they get the kid back to headquarters, and a cop takes them into town to talk to him more about what happened. She's friends with the cop that talked to him, and she said the kid described being kept in this tree by the fuzzy man and given berries whenever he was hungry. He was allowed to wander around a very specific clearing, but... When he tried to go further, the fuzzy man would get mad and yell really loud, even though he didn't have a mouth. When the kid got scared at night, the fuzzy man made it go brighter and gave him the twig bundle. He said the fuzzy man was going to keep him, and he had to let him go because the kid wasn't the right kind. He either can't or won't elaborate more on that. The cops just sort of left scratching their heads and the search for his brother is renewed with no results. The kid has no idea where his brother might be and they never find him. The last story that Katie told me was of something that happened to her when she got separated from her training group when she was a rookie. They were learning the basics of high elevation, be laying on a well-mapped side of the mountain, and she had to use the bathroom. She went off about 50 yards from the group during a meal break and did her business. I'll tell the rest exactly as she told it to me. So, I go to take a piss, and once I'm done, I start going back to the group. But I've only gotten about five feet when I realize that I have no idea where I am. And this wasn't a, oh, I got turned around, kind of lost. I mean, I had literally no 
effing clue where I was. If you'd asked me, I didn't even think I'd have been able to tell you what state we were in. It was sort of how I imagine people with amnesia feel, you know? You're completely lost and you have no idea what to do. So I stood there for a while, just trying to figure out where the hell I was and what I was supposed to do. But the longer I stand there, the more confused and turn around I get. So I started walking. As I recall, I just picked a random direction and went for it. And as I'm walking, it's just getting worse and worse to the point where I have no concept of why I'm on the mountain in the first place. I'm just trudging through the snow when then I start hearing this voice. It's kind of inside my head almost, like if a frog could talk, all low and croaky. And it's telling me over and over, It's okay. It's okay. You just need to find something to eat. Find something to eat and you'll be okay. Just keep walking and find something to eat. 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 So I start looking around for anything that I can eat. And I swear to God, I've never felt that hungry in my whole life. It was bottomless. And I think I'd have eaten just about anything you put in front of me right then. I had no concept of time, so I had no idea how long I'd been out when I hear an actual voice coming toward me. I go toward it, and it's one of the other SARS, and he looks freaking terrified. He's running towards me, asking if I'm okay and what the hell I'm doing out here. And the scary thing was, as he's running towards me, I kind of see myself reaching into my belt for my hunting knife. I'm not even really thinking about what I'm doing, but what I am thinking is that I have to eat. If I don't eat, I'll never be okay again. So I just have to eat. He sees me doing that and he backs off right away. He yells at me to put my knife away and that he's not going to hurt me, and that kind of snaps me back. All of a sudden, I know exactly where I am, and I put the knife away. I run to him and ask him how long I've been gone, thinking he'll tell me I've been gone for half an hour or so. But he ends up telling me I've been gone for two freaking days. I've gone over two peaks and ended up almost on the other side of the mountain, but if I'd kept going, I would have ended up wandering into about 300 miles of wilderness. They never would have found me. He can't believe I'm not dead, and of course, I don't know what the hell to think. To me, no time had passed at all. I don't say anything, I just go back with him to a rendezvous point, and I'm taken back to HQ to be airlifted to the hospital. When I get there, they do all kinds of tests and try to figure out what happened. As best they can guess, I had some kind of weird fugue state, which is kind of like amnesia or a weird seizure that knocked my brain out of whack. But the truth is that we really don't know. It's never happened again, but I'll tell you, ever since then, I never go out there alone. People rag on me for making them come with me when I have to leave the group, but I just tell them 
that listening to me piss in the snow was better than losing me for two freaking days on a freezing mountain. E.W. The next person I talked to was E.W., a former trainer who now works as an EMT. He still comes to ops like this to help out, but doesn't work full-time for us anymore. He specialized in finding lost kids. He just seemed to have a sixth sense when it came to knowing where they'd gone. He's a legend among the more senior vets, but he gets embarrassed if you compliment him on his work. He sat down with me at dinner one evening, and we ended up swapping stories. Most of them were just casual, and when we got on the subject of our weirder calls, I mentioned that I had a buddy who'd gone up a set of stairs. He got kind of quiet and asked me if I've heard of a little boy who disappeared from this park a few years back. I hadn't, so he told me this story. They were out looking for this 11-year-old boy, Joey, who'd gone missing near a river. Of course, the first thought was that he'd fallen in and drowned. But when they brought dogs out, they led SAR officers away from the river and up into a very densely forested area. When we do searches for people, we search in a grid pattern, and we search every box of the grid incredibly thoroughly. What EW's team noticed right away was that a very strange pattern was emerging. Dogs in alternating boxes were picking up Joey's scent, but losing it when they overlapped with another box. If you think of a checkerboard, Joey's scent was being picked up in random black squares, but never in red. This, of course, didn't make any sense, because how could the kid bounce from area to area without leaving a scent in each place he passed? E.W. and his partner pass into a new box of the grid, and E.W. notices a set of stairs about 50 yards away. He tells his partner that they need to go check near it, and his partner flat out refuses. He tells E.W. that he's made it the point never to go near any stairs he sees, and that while it may be routine, he's not going to pretend that it's normal. He tells E.W. that he'll wait in sight while E.W. checks. E.W. says he was irritated, but he felt for the guy and didn't push him on the subject. I walked over to the stairs. There were small, kind of like stairs into a basement. I don't really feel strongly one way or the other about them. The stairs, I mean. So I wasn't scared or anything. I guess I'm like everyone else, and I just prefer not to think about them too much. Anyway, I went over, and I could see that there was something lying on the bottom step, sort of curled up. My heart sinks because, of course, you always hope for the best, and we were confident that we'd found this kid alive, because he'd only been missing a few hours. But I knew right away that it was him, and that he was dead. He was curled up into a little ball on the step, holding his stomach. It looked like he'd been in horrible pain when he died, but I didn't see any blood, except some on his lips and chin. I radioed in that I found him and we got his body back to command. That poor family, they were devastated. The parents couldn't understand how he'd be dead, 
because he'd only been gone for such a short amount of time. And on top of that, we didn't have any obvious cause of death, which just made it worse. I figured he'd probably eaten something poisonous, since he was holding his stomach when I found him, but I didn't want to guess. It's hard enough to hear that your kid is dead, let alone have some stupid sargai guessing about what happened. They took him away and I went home and tried not to think about it. I hate finding dead kids, man. I love this job, but it's one of the reasons I left. I've got two daughters, and the thought of losing them that way just... He choked up a little here. I'm not great with emotional stuff like that, and it's always sort of awkward to see a grown man cry. So I didn't really know what to do. He pulled himself together eventually, though, when he kept going. <clears throat> so... We don't always hear back from the coroners about cause of death. It's not really our job to know, I guess, and sometimes if they think it's foul play, they won't tell us because of legal bullshit. But I've got a friend who works for the sheriff's department, and he'll usually pass along any interesting info if I ask. In this case, though, I actually got a call from him about a week later. He asks if I remember the kid, and of course I do and he says some seriously weird shit is going on. He tells me, E.W. man, you're going to think I'm crazy, but the coroner has no idea what happened to this kid. He's never seen anything like it. My friend goes on to tell me that when the coroner opened the kid up, he couldn't even believe what he was seeing. The kid's organs were like Swiss cheese. Quarter-sized holes were punched clean through just about every single organ this kid had, aside from his heart and lungs. But his colon, his stomach, his kidneys, and even one of his testicles were full of these clean holes. My friend said the coroner described it as if someone had taken a hole punch and punched holes out of everything. They were so neat. But the kid didn't have a scratch on him, no entry or exit wounds. The closest anyone there had ever been like it was a guy who'd filled himself with buckshot a year or so back while cleaning his rifle. No one had a clue what could possibly have caused it. My friend asked me if I'd ever heard of anything like it or if we had similar cases in the past. But I'd never heard of something like that, and I told him I wasn't going to be of any help. As far as I know, the coroner determined the cause of death as something like massive internal bleeding, but no one knows what really happened. I've never been able to forget that kid. I have nightmares about it sometimes. I don't let my kids go into the woods alone, and when they go together, I never let them out of my sight. I used to love it out here. But that case, and a couple of others, just sort of ruined it for me. Dinner was over, so we started to clean up and go back to our cabins. Before we went our separate ways, he put his hand on my shoulder and looked at me really close. He tells me that there's bad things out there. Things that don't care if we have families or lives. Or that we can think and feel. He tells me to be careful, and he walks away. I didn't have a chance to talk with him again, but 
That story stuck with me. PB. By pure coincidence, I got to talk to another vet. PB, who's been in the star field for years. We were partnered on a grid suite during a training exercise, and we were chatting casually about how we like the job, what kinds of things we've seen, and the like. At one point, we passed an old set of stairs, though these were probably from an old fire lookout, given the idea that we were in. I sort of casually mentioned that I was curious about the stairs, and that I wished I knew more about them. He got kind of quiet, and looked like he wanted to tell me something, but wasn't sure if he should. Finally, he told me to turn my radio off. Obviously, this is something we were never ever supposed to do, but I did it, and he did the same. About seven years ago, he tells me, he was out on a call with a rookie. They were in an area of the park that's had a lot of strange reports and events. Disappearances, stories about lights in the forest, odd noises, things like that. The rookie was totally spooked, kept going on and on about things out in the woods. According to PB, the guy wouldn't stop talking about the goat man, just going on and on. Goat man this and goat man that. Finally, I told him that there was plenty else to be afraid of out here that was actually very real and that he'd better get over this thing with the goat man. The rookie wanted to know what kinds of things I was talking about, and I just told him to shut up and walk. We crested a little ridge, and there was a staircase about ten yards ahead. The rookie stops dead in his tracks and just stands there looking at them. I tell him, See? That's something you should be afraid of. The rookie asks me what the hell these are doing out here, and for some reason, I just open up and tell him the truth or what I've been told is the truth. I could have gotten in a lot of trouble for doing what I did, and I could get in a lot of trouble for repeating it to you. But you're a nice kid, and I want you to stop looking into this. Quit while you're ahead. So I'll tell you what I know, under the condition that you never breathe a word of this to the superiors. I told him I wouldn't say a single word, and he double-checks that our radios are off. When I first started out, we were a little less tight-lipped about them, and other things that happen out here. We warned people before they were even hired that there was weird shit going on. I guess the Forest Service was tired of having such a massive turnover rate, and they wanted people to know what they were getting into. So they started having people sign these agreements that they wouldn't go to the media about what they were going to see. The FS didn't want to scare people away, so the last thing they needed were spooked rookies running off to the media with stories of ghosts and haunted stairs. But eventually, they found that the agreement wasn't necessary. People not only didn't want to talk about what they saw, they just wouldn't. A few times, media tried to talk to people when kids or hikers would disappear, and no one would say a word. I can't really explain it. I guess we just 
don't really want to admit anything is wrong here. This is our job, to be out in the woods every single day. We don't need to be spooked. And the best way to avoid that is to pretend like everything's okay. So I'll tell you something I can think of, and after that, I'm done talking about it for good. And I expect you not to bring it up around me ever again. The stairs have been out here as long as the parks have existed. We have records going back decades describing them. Sometimes people go up them and nothing happens. Other times... Look, I really don't like talking about this. But sometimes really bad shit happens. I saw one guy get his hand sliced clean off when he got to the top step. He reached out to touch a tree branch and it happened that quick. One second his hand was there and the next it was gone. Completely clean wound. We didn't find his hand and the guy almost died. Another time, a woman touched one of the stairs and a blood vessel in her brain exploded. Literally exploded like a water balloon. She sort of stumbled down and came over to me and all she got out was, I think something is wrong with me. She dropped like a sack of flour, dead before she hit the ground. I'll never forget the way the blood leaked into the inside of her eye. Before she died, I watched it turn red. I watched it happen and there wasn't a single thing I could do to help. We warn people not to go anywhere near them, but there's always at least one idiot who does. And even if nothing happens to them, something bad always happens. Kids go missing as we're on their trail. Someone dies the next day, cut in half, in a completely safe part of the park. I don't know why, but something bad just always happens. I don't know why exactly that they're out there, but it doesn't matter. They're here, and if we're smart about it, we'll tell our new officers exactly what they're capable of. We were both quiet for a little while. I was afraid to talk because I wasn't sure if he was done. He looked like he wanted to say something else. Finally, he spoke again. Have you ever noticed how you can't find the same ones twice? I nodded, expecting him to continue, but he stayed quiet, walking alongside me and eventually he started a story about the biggest deer he'd ever seen in the park. I didn't bring up the subject again, and I didn't press him for any more stories. He dropped out of the op the next day. Apparently, he left before the sun came up. He said he was sick. None of us have heard from him since he left. Part 5 A firefighter who was helping us at the training op told me about a call he'd gone on, supposedly to help rescue a kid from an absolutely massive tree. He said they didn't give him any details, just thought they needed him to come out and help because they lacked the proper equipment. He'd been called out specifically because this thing was so huge that the SARS didn't feel safe climbing into it. He'd been a tree trimmer before joining the VFD, so it was easy enough for him to grab the old equipment and come help out. 
He laughed and asked the op captain how the kid had gotten up there, made some jokes about the old cat-in-the-tree thing, but the captain just shook his head and told him to get up there and get the kid down. He said he knew something was up, but he didn't push it. He said that as he climbed this tree, he started wondering if they were playing a prank on him. There was no way this kid should have been able to climb this effing thing. It was massive at the base, but about halfway up, it started tapering, and I almost had to turn back a few times because I really didn't think it was going to hold me. But he said he kept going, and when he was just about at the top, he saw a flash of blue in the branches. I saw this kid's shirt sort of caught in the branch, and I called out to him and told him to come near me if he could, but he didn't say anything. I kept moving, calling the kid's name and telling him not to be scared, that I was there to help him. By the time I got to him, I knew he wasn't going to answer me. I found him, or what was left of him, cradled in the fork of a branch, and the fact that he was up there was sheer luck. If he'd fallen by any other way, he'd have come crashing down. It wouldn't have mattered, though, because the kid was dead long before he ended up in that tree. I don't know who put him up there, or how, or why, but it was effing sick. Kid's intestines had popped out of his mouth and were hanging in the branches. It was like some sick effing Christmas tree, the way they were draped all over everything. I got a better look and saw they'd even popped out of his ass. His guts were hanging out the bottom of his pants. His eyes were gone. I assume shoved out from whatever force caused him to effing pop like a stress ball. You ever seen a body that's been floating in water for a long time? How their tongues kind of swell up and stick out? It was like that. I remember because there were flies crawling all over it. I think I might have gone into shock because, man, I just pushed that kid down with a stick. I broke off a branch, just kind of poked him until he fell. I don't know why I did that, and I almost lost my job because of that. But man, the thought of hauling that kid down over my shoulder the whole way, gathering his guts up and coiling them around me like a rope so they wouldn't get snagged, I could not do that. I've seen a lot of dead kids, more than I'd ever admit. I've seen a kid who hid in a full bathtub during a house fire, boiled him alive, turned him into literal soup. But this? I don't know what did this. But the thought of touching that kid's body made me feel like I was going to lose my mind. I heard him hit the ground and I figured everyone would freak out but they knew he was dead when they sent me up there. They didn't say anything, but they didn't shout or freak out or anything either. I got to the bottom, and I started to get up in the captain's face, asking him who he thought he was sending up there when they knew damn well the kid was dead. But he just told me it was none of my concern and thanked me for getting the evidence down. I remember he said that, I remember it specifically because it was so weird to hear it phrased that way. The 
evidence. Like he wasn't even a person. Like he'd never been a little kid who got lost and had something effing unspeakable happen to him. The captain had a crew lead me back out of the woods, but he and two others stayed behind, and I thought that was very weird. Why wouldn't they help me get the kid out? I tried asking, but the guys leading me out just told me they couldn't discuss an open case. I asked him what he thought had happened to the kid, and he got really pensive and thought about it for a bit. I would have said a crush injury based on how his guts came out like that, but with those injuries, you see massive contusions under the skin. Obvious trauma. This wasn't like that. It was almost like that kid got caught in a big vacuum and had his guts sucked out. But even then, there was no trauma. None at all. It bothers me, man. It bothers the hell out of me. One of the vets at the training ops reads No Sleep, and he recognized my stories. He knows me pretty well, and we've swapped stories before. He asked if he could share something he'd noticed about the stairs and some thoughts he had. I'm really glad you decided to share these. I think it's important that people be aware of what's out there, especially since the Forest Service is doing such a good job at covering it all up. I asked him what he meant. What do you mean, what do I mean? The lack of any kind of media attention? No coverage of missing kids or bodies found miles from where they got lost in the first place? David Paulides hit this right on the head. The FS is doing everything they can to keep people coming here, even if it isn't safe. I mean, to be fair, it's not like these things happen every day. But the numbers add up, and it's worth looking into. Especially the stairs. I was surprised you didn't mention the flipped ones. I didn't know what he was talking about. I couldn't remember him ever saying something about that. He seemed somewhat incredulous. Dude, I can't believe you've been on this long without seeing them. No one told you about them, huh? I shrugged and asked him to elaborate. Well, there's the normal stairs. The ones that pop up when we're out of ways. I know you know about them, but sometimes I've run across ones that are flipped upside down. I guess it would be like if you had a dollhouse and the stairs were a separate piece. Now, take that, flip it upside down so the top step is stuck in the dirt and put it out in the woods. They're like that. I don't see them as often, but they're odd to say the least. Makes me think of footage taken after a tornado when houses are all blown apart and random things are left standing, like chimneys and garden walls. Those ones freak me out more than the normal ones because I can't really write those off as easily. I don't scare very easily like most of us who work out here, but that idea stuck with me, and it bothers me a lot. I'm going to try and find out more about them. He also mentioned how many people were bothered by the guy with no face. He got really excited and told me he'd seen something similar. 
I was out on a training exercise a few years ago. I was camped out in a tent, and I heard someone walking around outside camp. We're told not to wander far, which, you know, so I wondered if maybe it was a rookie who gotten up to pee and couldn't find his way back. Remember, that guy in our group a few years back who almost fell off the damn mountain? Well, I'm paranoid about that happening again, so I got up to see what was going on. I went to the edge of camp, and I called to whoever it was and told them that camp was this way. But they kept going back out into the woods, so I went after them. I know it was stupid, but I was half asleep, and I just really didn't want to deal with some idiot getting hurt. I followed this thing on a dead, straight course for about a mile, and then it stopped at the edge of a little river. I could see the outline of it because the water was reflecting the moon, and it looked like an ordinary guy. He had a pack on, and it looked like he was facing me, I think. I asked if he was okay, if he needed help, and he cocked his head like he didn't understand me. I always have my pocket knife on me, and it's got a little thumb light attached to it, so I turned that on and lit up his chest, so I wouldn't blind him. He was breathing slow and deep, so I wondered if he was sleepwalking. I went closer and asked him again if he was okay. I moved the light up, and something didn't seem right, so I stopped. He kept breathing in this real, slow, deep breaths, and I sort of figured out gradually that that's what was bothering me. It was like he was pretending to breathe, but not actually doing it. His breaths were too even and deep, and all his movements were exaggerated like his shoulders going up and his chest moving. I told him to identify himself and he made this muffled noise. I moved the light up and I shit you not, this guy had no face. Just smooth skin. I freaked the hell out and I sort of fumbled my light, but I saw him move toward me and he didn't actually move. I don't know how to explain it, but one second he was at the edge of the river, and the next he was five feet away from me. I never looked away or blinked. It was like he moved so fast my brain couldn't keep up. I tripped and fell on my ass, and I could see this line open up on his throat. It stretched up his ears, and his head tilted back, and he smiled at me with his throat. There wasn't any blood, just this gaping dark hole, and I swear he smiled at me with this gash in his throat. I got up and I ran as fast as I could back to camp. I couldn't hear him following me, but I felt like he was always right behind me, even though when I looked back, I couldn't see him. I calmed down when I got to camp. The fire was still going and I guess the pack mentality of being with other people made me stop and breathe a little. I waited by the fire to see if he'd follow me there, but I didn't hear anything else for a few hours, so I went back to bed. I know it sounds weird, but the whole thing was just so surreal 
that it was almost like I immediately wrote it off as my imagination. We were telling ghost stories one night before bed, just to scare each other and poke fun at whoever got creeped out. Most of the time, it's the rookies, but one woman told a story that actually managed to get under my skin a little bit. And I know the same was true for others. She said it was true, but then again, every ghost story told around a campfire is true. Somehow, though, I don't think she was making it up. It had that ring of truth that only really traumatizing events have. She said that when she was a kid, she and her friend used to go out in the woods behind her house a lot. She lived in northern Maine, where there's a lot of dense, unpopulated national forest. She said the woods up there aren't like they are here. They're so thick in places that the trees block out the sun almost completely. She and her friend grew up there, so they weren't scared of being out here alone. But they did always maintain a sense of caution in certain areas. She said it was never really talked about but they always knew not to go more than a mile or two beyond their homes. The adults never said why, but it was an unspoken rule that no one ventured out that far. She and her friend made up stories about bears as big as houses that lived out there, and they used to scare each other by hiding and making growling noises while the others searched for them. She said one summer... There was a series of awful storms that blew down a lot of trees and set one part of the forest a few miles behind her house on fire. Fire crews got it under control, but she said some of them came back not quite the same. It was like they'd been to war. You can tell who'd really gotten scared because they had the same look on their faces. I think it's called shell shock. My friend and I said they were like walking dead people. They didn't smile or say anything if you went up to them. And most of them left town as soon as everything was over. I asked my parents about it, but they said they didn't know what I was talking about. Once everyone was told that the woods were safe again, my friends and I decided to try and hike out to where the fire had happened. We didn't tell our parents where we were going, and it was pretty exciting to think that we were disobeying them like that. We hiked out about two miles or so, and we started seeing burnt trees and stuff. I remember my friend getting really upset because we found the skeleton of a deer curled up under a tree, and I practically had to drag her away. She wanted to bury it, but... I didn't want her touching it because its antlers are weird. I can't remember why, I just remember thinking that there was something wrong with them, and I didn't want either of us going near it. The further we went, the more burnt everything got. Eventually, there were no standing trees, and it was like being on another planet. Almost nothing green, just brown and black everywhere. We were standing there looking at it all, and we both heard someone shouting in the distance. I panicked because I thought it was my dad, and that he was going to tell me I was grounded. 
My friend broke off and went to go hide behind a big rock because she said she didn't want to be caught out there. Her parents had forbidden her to come out in the woods at all, and she'd lied and told them we were going to a movie. I followed her and we kept listening. I could hear his voice getting closer, and I realized they weren't calling for help. I thought maybe it was some hiker who'd gotten lost and needed directions back to town. That used to happen all the time, so I was used to helping people out. I heard him following my voice, so I kept calling out until I saw him running in the distance. He got closer, and I could see that his face was all red. I told my friend to give me her pack, because she had a first aid kit. She made this noise like she was grossed out, and she asked if I saw his face. I told her to shut up, and I jogged up to meet him. I stopped about halfway, and when he stopped in front of me, I could see that his nose and lips and part of his forehead were all gone. It was like they'd been sliced clean off. He was bleeding very bad, and I saw that the knees of his pants were red too. I took a step back, but I was too scared to move much, and he grabbed my shoulders. It felt like I got a shock, and he jerked back. He started babbling, and I couldn't tell what he was saying, except that he kept asking how long he'd been gone. He asked me where his unit was, but I just shook my head. He looked me over, and he saw my Walkman, and he screamed. He just kept babbling and touching his face, and I realized he wasn't wearing the right clothing. He had some kind of weird gray cloth jacket and almost formal pants on, and the jacket had these weird buttons and red borders on it. I kept shaking my head, and I told him I couldn't understand what he was saying. I went to open the first aid kit, but he just screamed again and said the only thing I could really understand. Don't touch me. You'll make me go back there. After that, he ran off, and I could hear him screaming the entire time. When I couldn't hear him scream anymore, I turned around and my friend was crying. I just turned around and started walking back towards town. She asked me over and over what had happened and who that was, but I didn't say anything. When we got home, I told her I didn't want to play in the woods with her anymore. We're still friends, but we don't talk about that guy. Not ever, ever again. To be continued. And that, dear listeners, brings an end to the second part of this series. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, please take care of yourselves. I'll be reading to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all.